quickly, if you will. Uh, Miss, Miss Dorla, unfortunately, had to be taken back to the hospital again. And so remember Miss Dorla in your prayers tonight, if you would. And, and then thank you for being patient with the floor situation. And uh, unfortunately, the, the lady that is uh, sort of overseeing this uh, came down with COVID. And so anyway, there's been a little bit of a delay on that. But anyway, you've been great. You've had a great attitude about it, and I, I appreciate that. And so just be, be patient with us as, as we try to make things just to look, look a little bit better around here. And then let me just mention something to the parents real quickly tonight. And we're gonna, we'll, we'll do more than what I'm going to tell you tonight. But um, parents, and thank God for the playground. We, we're so thankful for the playground. But we just want to make sure, parents, if your kids are going to play on the playground, just be sure that you try to escort them over to the playground, especially if it's close to church time, simply because we have people coming in around the corner. And the last thing in the world we want is for a kid to get hit out here. And uh, so, and then all of you folks that are driving, if you'll just help us, and just, I know it's hard to think about that. And again, we're going to do some other things that, you know, try to help out with that. But uh, as you're coming around the corner there, just remember to take it a little easy right there for the children's sake. Uh, and so parents, y'all help us out with that, if you will. And we would appreciate that very, very much. Kids just do what kids do. Amen. And sometimes they look and sometimes they don't. Uh, and so that means that we have to, we, we just have to be a little, little bit more vigilant uh, as adults. And so anyway, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Acts chapter 27 in your Bibles tonight. Let me give you a few thoughts this evening from God's word. Uh, something that the Lord has laid on my heart that I'd like to share with our church tonight. I believe this will be a blessing to you. And so when you find your place in Acts 27, let's all stand tonight out of respect for the reading of God's word. Oh, listen, go back and read this whole chapter. It is so great. Uh, and I will just give you the backdrop here in Acts chapter 27. Paul and those that are on this ship with him are in, they're in the storm of their life. This is this storm. They've been in this storm for many, many days. And so again, I want you to, I, and I tried to sort of use this backdrop uh, to just get that in your mind. It's cloudy. The Bible says that the sun or stars have not appeared in many days. Uh, and they're tossed about with a tempest. Uh, there's a horrible wind. The waves are crashing in the boat, and it's been this way for many, many days. And that's sort of the background behind the story that we're going to read just a small portion of tonight. And so Acts chapter 27, and look, if you will, please, at verse number 39. And the Bible says, And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, this is not what they wanted. The Bible says they ran the ship aground. And the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. Oh, I love verse 43. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. 
and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. And you may be seated tonight. Just for a few moments, I want to talk to you about the power of a testimony. The power of a testimony. All of us have a testimony. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's looking at you. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how old, how young. Somebody's watching you. You young people, there are younger people than you who are watching you. And so you don't have to be a parent for somebody to be watching your testimony. If you're, an, if you're a, a young person and there are kids in here, and there are, who are much younger than you, they're watching you. All of us remember the time when we used to say, man, I can't wait till I'm 16. I can't wait till I'm 16. Y'all do remember that, don't you? You don't remember that. All right. Well, for me, it was just the other day. But anyway, I, <laughs> truth is, somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching your testimony. They're watching your actions. They're listening to your words. And just so for a few minutes tonight, I want to talk to you about uh, the power that a testimony has in it. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll jump right into this Bible study tonight. Father, thank you for the wonderful day you've given us at Calvary. Lord, by now some of our folks are beginning to get a little wore down. And so I pray that, Lord, for the next few moments, that you'll give them supernatural strength to not only to listen, but to really glean something from this service. And we already have. Lord, we've already gleaned. It's been great. The music's been wonderful. Fellowship's been uplifting. It's been tremendous. But Father, as we close the service out and try to give your people a few thoughts from thy word, I pray that, Lord, that thy word will hit its mark tonight. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful, Lord, for what you did this morning. But God, I pray once again, Father, we're undeserving, but I pray once again in the name of Jesus that you'd be so kind as to meet with us again tonight. Help us, we pray, Father. We pray for the power of the Holy Ghost, and we pray that Christ would be honored and glorified through all that's done. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen and amen. Here in Acts chapter 27, the ship that Paul is being transported on has ran aground. We read that just a moment ago. And now the Bible says the forepart stunk fast, but the hinder part is literally being broken up by the vicious waves. And so staying aboard is no longer an option. The vessel is being broken apart uh, as the story goes and as we speak. And so it's evident that they're going to have to abandon ship. But if the prisoners escape, there was an island close by and and that was the idea, was to, to abandon ship and to make it to uh, this small island. But here's the thought. If the prisoners escape, the Roman soldiers aboard know that they'll probably not only lose their position or their rank, but more than likely they will lose their life. For that was the way of the Roman army and the Roman soldier. So their counsel is this, we're going to kill all the prisoners. We can't hold this together. We, we can't stay on board. It's evident that we can't keep all these men rounded up. And so we're going to do this. We're going to take the sword out and we're going to kill all the prisoners. Which, by the way, these Roman legionnaires, these Roman soldiers are very good at one thing. 
They're good at killing. They are the best of the best. In fact, if you study it out, they tell us that the Roman soldiers were considered the elite of the forces of the world. Uh, they spent an abundance of their time uh, training under the strictest of rules. In fact, they were so strict that it was said that if a Roman soldier fell asleep on duty, it was punishable by death. And so you understand that these guys are like Green Beret. They're like our version of the Navy SEALs. And so most of these prisoners, in fact, all of the prisoners are unarmed. And some of these prisoners are possibly bound and so you understand that this would have been very, very easy for these soldiers to do. But we notice here there is a centurion. This centurion is a man that's over these soldiers. He's over 100 of these soldiers. And, and uh, this man keeps them from this murderous plot for one reason. He wants to save the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul is a Jew, and Julius is a Roman. But Julius wants to save the Apostle Paul. Boy, I read that the other day, and I thought, man, what a thought. The truth is tonight, Calvary, that all of these men, not some, but all of these men would have perished had it not been for the testimony of one man on that ship. By the way, there were 276 men on the ship, 276. But there was one man on this ship because of his powerful testimony, every life was spared. Now, what was it? I, you know, I, I read stuff like that, inquiring minds want to know, amen? And I read stuff like this and I'm like, okay, what was it that in Paul's life and Paul's testimony that, that really stood out to this centurion and, and uh, influenced him in such a great way? And I begin to study and God begin to speak and, and I want to give you just three thoughts tonight about what it was about Paul's testimony that had such an impact upon this centurion. Just a few things. How about this? Number one, we notice this. Paul had a compassionate concern for other people. Now, look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 27, and look at verse number 33 tonight. Acts 27 and verse number 33. The Bible says, and while the day, uh, while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Uh, wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not uh, an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. Now you go back and read the story, but the Bible says they've basically given up hope that they're gonna be saved. And so they've been throwing things overboard, trying to light the ship up. They've not eaten in many, many days. And so the apostle Paul comes to him and he says, fellas, you're going to have to eat. Uh, your, your, your health is declining 14 days. Some of you have not taken anything in 14 days. And you're weak and you're going to have to eat. And we notice here that the apostle Paul was genuinely concerned for others. But the interesting thing about this story is this that Paul, a prisoner on this ship, was not only compassionate toward the other prisoners, but Paul was very compassionate toward his captors. Paul was not only compassionate toward the prisoners, 
He was not only compassionate toward the, his captors, but notice this, he was compassionate toward the shipmen. And if I can remind you, in, in uh, verse number 30, these shipmen had tried to abandon ship. They tried to leave them out there to fend for themselves. They were gonna drop the, the, uh, the uh, emergency boat and they were gonna sail away and they were gonna leave everybody on board, just take care of themselves. And yet Paul, knowing that, is caring for these men. He's caring for these prisoners. He's caring for these Romans. He's caring for those that have made him a, a, a captive. And I want you to understand that this made a huge impact on the centurion. Someone said it like this. People don't care how much you know until first they know how much you care. It's true, isn't it? You know, now think, now think with me. Uh, uh, too many times we sort of over-spiritualize the Word of God. These people were people just like us. They had the same fears, the same worries, the same concerns, the same anxiety. And so when you begin to read these pages, you're thinking, okay, what was it about Paul's life and his testimony that so impacted this centurion? And I honestly believe this, the thing that really got a hold of Julius's heart was this. He knew that the apostle Paul, although he was a Roman and Paul was a Jew, he knew that Paul had a legitimate concern for him and others on the ship. Did you know if you can let people know that you genuinely concern about them they'll often allow you to interfere in their life. They'll allow you to teach. They'll, they will allow you to counsel them. You know this is the case. Often at Calvary Baptist Church, Calvary allows me to preach very, very hard sometimes. And sometimes we call sin. We tell it like it is. Sometimes we call it by name. And yet the church continues to move on and, and, and people enjoy it and people like it that way. But the reason I have that opportunity to preach with boldness and preach with liberty is because I have some people at Calvary Baptist Church who know they have a preacher that cares about them. And the reason that I preach that way is not because I'm mad at anybody except the devil. The reason I preach like I preach is because I'm tired of young people's lives being ruined and I'm tired of marriages being on the rocks and I'm tired of homes being dashed about by Satan. And I'm glad that I can come and preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that it still works in this day and time in which we're living today. Why do you do that? How do you have that opportunity, preacher? Because thank God some people know that I care about them. And by the way, this I don't know if you know this or not, but you are a part of one of the most caring, loving, affectionate churches that you'll ever walk into. That's the truth. Amen. That's the truth, brother. I'm, I stand, I mean it, I stand by. I thank God for this church. Man, we love it every time we get to walk in the door. When I come in, I feel the love. I feel the com uh, camaraderie. I feel the brotherly love. I feel the kindness. Uh, my wife and I told one of our families this week, they said, preacher, you don't know what a joy it is to, to enjoy and look forward to coming to the house of God again. And I said to them, it's the same way with her and me. We love coming to church. Yeah. And one of the reasons is because we have people here who genuinely care about one another. We love the Lord, but we love each other. Problems, yes. Imperfections, you know it. Anywhere you got people, you got problems. But we all know we've got shortcomings. We all know we've got little idiosyncrasies about us and weirdness. And we're all just a little weird. Come on now, church. 
But we understand that. And we just, we just love each other where we are. Jude 1 and verse 22 says this, and, and of some have compassion, making a difference. You know what this world needs? They need, a, they need some folks that will just have compassion. I'm glad I pastor a church where everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. And I, I, sometimes I just stand back and I watch. I watch you. And I see people walk into this church. Sometimes they don't look like you. And yet I see you welcome them in. Sometimes I see folks walk in, their, their skin color. It's not the same as yours, but I watch and I see you welcome them in. Sometimes we see people come and we can tell that they've been a long time living out in the world and they, they've got that rough, uh, that rough appearance of the world. And by the way, that's what will happen when you live out in the world. And we see those people walk through these doors and I watch and I see you I welcome them and love on them. And sometimes I just step back and I say, Lord, thank you for letting me be a part of something like this. Compassion is what makes the difference. You've heard me talk about a fellow by, by the name of Mutsia uh, Fuchida. He was a Japanese fighter pilot. And not only a Japanese fighter pilot, but he was the fighter pilot that led the attack on Pearl Harbor. He is the, and I didn't know this, but he is the pilot who actually radioed back to the Japanese carriers the message, Torah, Torah, Torah which said to them, we have taken them by surprise. There was a movie made later because of that. They said that Fuchida idolized Adolf Hitler. I know that's crazy. They said that he wore his hair the same way and even had the same little short mustache. And they said that when Japan surrendered, that Fuchida was still embittered against America. In fact, he took on the job of defending some of his comrades. Some of those uh, in the Japanese army had been, uh, had been accused of war crimes. And, and Fuchida, who was very bitter against America, began to go to his comrades and he began to gather evidence so he could defend them in a court of law. While trying to gather evidence, he came across one of his former flight engineers. This flight engineer was supposed to be dead. That was the word, that he had died in the Battle of Midway. And yet, come to find out, this man had actually been, for a number of years, he had been a prisoner of war. And Fujita came to this Japanese comrade, and he said, comrade, tell me about your time in the prisoner of war camp. Tell me about the abuses that the Americans brought upon you. Tell me how you were harmed and how you were harassed and how you were abused. And they said that this Japanese soldier wouldn't talk about any abuses or any mistreatment. But he began to tell Fuchida the story of a young lady by the name of Peggy Covell. Peggy Covell, her parents were missionaries in the Philippines when the war broke out, and both of her parents, dad and mom both, were beheaded by the Japanese army. This young lady went on to begin helping out in that prisoner of war camp, knowing that her mom and dad had been 
tragically, viciously killed. And yet she would come to these prisoner, uh, prisoner of war, uh, these prisoners, and she would bring their food and she would bring their drink. And each day she would come to the cell and she would show them the love of Christ. And she began to try to, she began to, to tell them the story of, of her mom and dad. And they were missionaries in the Philippines and how they were beheaded. And these Japanese soldiers uh, didn't understand that. They, they couldn't comprehend that. And their, their code of conduct was revenge. And if somebody uh, kills one of yours, you kill one of theirs. And, and they couldn't understand this young lady, Peggy Kova. They couldn't understand how after her mom and dad had been killed, they couldn't understand how she could come and share with them compassion and love and kindness. And the soldier was so moved by that. And he began to tell that story to Mitsuo Fujita. And they said that Fujita was so moved by this story that he began to look into Christianity. And eventually, he was gloriously saved. I'm talking about the Japanese fighter pilot that led the raid on Pearl Harbor, was gloriously saved, not only gloriously saved, but became an evangelist and began to travel all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the time of his death had led scores and scores to Jesus Christ. And boy, can I get an amen right there? You say, preacher, what made the difference? I'll tell you what made the difference. The power of a testimony. A young lady who said, I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to become indifferent. I I, I, I could. My mom and dad were taken out of here. They were taken out in a a, a vicious way. I could, but I'm not. And she showed the love of Christ. And because of the power of a testimony, some lives were changed. Again, people don't care how much you know until first they know how much you care. Someone said it like this, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts be to rise again unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done, And my new work in heaven's begun. May I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. In Calvary Baptist Church, may we continue to be the kind of church that loves everybody and welcomes everybody in. And we're going to shake everybody's hand and we're going to give everybody a smile and, and everybody's welcome in this place. This is, not a, this is not a social club. This is a local New Testament church and our shepherd, our chief shepherd is Jesus Christ and let's just welcome everybody who comes in. Paul had a compassionate concern for others, but I think there's something else. Number two, We notice that Paul had a contagious spirit of cheerfulness. Now, look look at it with me, if you will, church. Acts chapter 27 and verse number 20. The Bible says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, Paul said, All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them, And said, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. And look what he says. Here they are in this horrendous storm. And now 
I exhort you to be of what? To be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. Now again, you've got to read this in its context. Paul's not sitting on a Caribbean beach somewhere under an umbrella. He's in the storm of all storms to be saved. They've not eaten anything in many days. And yet Paul walks out and says, by the way, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Look what it says. Verse number 25. Verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Look at verse 35. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken, he began to eat. Then were they all of good what? Of good cheer. And they also took some meat. I love this. Even in the midst of difficult times, Paul continued to be cheerful. He had a great spirit, an uplifting spirit. He had an attitude of gratitude right smack dab in the middle of a storm. By the way, we're we're there. Right smack dab in the middle of a pandemic, worldwide pandemic. And I know there's a lot we could complain about, and I know there's a lot we can murmur about. Uh, It's crazy. It's craziness. Pray for those in California. Pray for Zach and Amber. So Governor Newsom sent out word this week that only a little handful could meet for Thanksgiving. And if they meet for Thanksgiving, they're not allowed to sing. And that they have to wear a mask the whole time and they're to take their mask off to take a bite and then put the mask back on. (laughs) You gotta love it, brother. Of course, he doesn't have to do that. He can go eat at expensive restaurants and uh, none of them wear a mask. But anyway, anyway, I'm not, I'm not going there tonight. I'm not going to chase that rabbit. Although it has meat on it, I'm not going to chase that rabbit tonight. I'm just saying this. There's a lot. There's a lot we could complain about. There's a lot we could bellyache about. But we notice here that Paul, in the midst of a storm, has a positive outlook. May I ask us this question tonight? Are you a glass half empty kind of person? or a glass half full kind of person. Because of who, don't miss this church, because of who Paul had on the inside, he did not allow the what on the outside to bring him down. (laughs) This had to be what it was. What in the world would affect a Roman centurion like this one? Uh, What was it about Paul's life? It had to be this. Paul was a man of compassion, but Paul was a man that had a contagious spirit. And by the way, that contagious spirit began to take over on the ship. Ask your question. Are you the kind of person that brightens the room when you walk in? Or are you the kind of person that darkens the room when you walk in? I don't know about y'all, I want to be the kind of person that brightens the room. When I walk in, I want people to feel better. (laughs) I don't want want them to see me coming. Oh, brother, here he comes. Oh, me. By the way, y'all all all know what I'm talking about. We all know somebody like that. And you see him walk in and you're like, oh, here it goes. And by the way, right here at Thanksgiving, 
We're all getting together. You've got that one family member and everything's going great. The turkey's piping hot and, and uh, the cranberry's ready to eat and the green beans are steaming and everybody's having a great time and everybody's smiling and everybody's fellowshipping and then so-and-so walks in. And it's like, oh, brother, here we go. Oh, listen, we're being a little facetious tonight. But I'm just saying this. We ought to be the kind of person that has a contagious spirit of cheerfulness. Somebody said it like this. Both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over the barren desert. But all the vultures see is rotting meat. Because that's what they're looking for. They thrive on that diet of rotting meat. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they're looking for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. The vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. <laughs> and by the word, by the way, each bird finds what he's looking for. And I believe, you know what? I believe we'll find what we're looking for. Oh, man. Paul made it a point to look on the bright side, to stay positive. It was Charles Spurgeon was on his way home, and he was mugged one night, robbed. He got home and told his wife, he said, I, he said uh, I, I, was, I was accosted on the way home. He said, uh, mugged. And, and uh, he said, they, they stole my wallet. And then Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, well, thank the Lord anyway. And somebody heard Charles Spurgeon say that. And they said, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that you were robbed. Thank the Lord that you were mugged. And Charles Spurgeon said it like this first. I'm thankful that the robber just took my money and he did not take my life. He said, second, I'm thankful that I left most of my money at home. And then he said, third, I'm thankful to God that I was robbed and not the robber. Man, just looking at that positive aspect of it all. What was it about Paul's testimony that had such a, an effect on this centurion, this centurion. Number one, Paul had a compassion and concern for others. He had a contagious spirit of cheerfulness. We're done tonight, church, but I want you to hear me out. Number three, Paul had a public commentary concerning his conversation. Now you say, preacher, what in the world? Let me explain that to you. Would you look at Acts 27 tonight and look at verse number one? Paul had a public commentary concerning his conversation. Acts chapter 27, verse 1, the Bible says, and when it was determined, I thought this was beautiful, verse 1, and when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius. I'm guessing then that this is the first time that Julius and the apostle Paul have come together. So they've, they've delivered him to one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus band. And entering into a ship of Adramatium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus of Macedonia of Thessalonica being with us, 
And the next day we touched at Sidon. Look at this church. This is wonderful. And Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. In verse 1, Paul and Julius meet. Watch this now. And two verses later, Paul has already made such an impact on this centurion. They, when, they, when they get to this certain destination, this certain stopping point, Julius says, Paul, if you want to just go on, he's a prisoner, church. And the centurion says, Paul, if you'd like to go fellowship with some of your folks that you know here, help yourself. He's a prisoner. And yet he's made that kind of an impact on Julius. Someone says, preacher, how in the world? How's that even possible? And I believe this is the answer. I believe the centurion had already previously heard of Paul's testimony. You say, well, what do you mean? What do you mean, pastor? Well, go back to the previous chapter. Acts 26. Would you look there with me? Acts 26 and verse 28. And the Bible says in verse number 28, then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, look at this church, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, here it is, they talked between themselves saying, this man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if it not been appealed, if it not appealed unto Caesar. You know what I believe? Honestly, I believe this. I believe that Julius had already heard. I believe that Julius knew he wasn't messing with a serial killer right here. He had already heard of the past conversation, what was said about Paul. And as, as he was put under the care of this centurion, they said, they said, Julius, honestly, this man's got to go to Caesar because he appealed to it. But he said, you don't have to worry about this fellow right here. He's not a murderer. He's not, a, he's not a, you know, some kind of a criminal. And I believe because of that, because of that, Julius gave Paul leave. Can I ask you a question? We're done. What are others saying about your testimony? Every once in a while you hear somebody in the church say something, like, say something like this. You know what? I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, if by that you mean this, I'm going to stand on the word of God regardless, I say amen to that. But other than that, truth is, you ought to care what people are saying about you. And I ought to care about what people are saying about me, our testimony. We ought to care about the testimony of this church. We ought to care about the testimony of the choir. We ought to care about the testimony of the musicians and the singers and the pastor and the deacons and the Sunday school teacher. We ought to care what others are saying outside these walls. We ought to care what others are saying about us. A train was coming down the tracks and the story goes that it had plunged over and open draw, drawbridge into the river. When it did, 18 people had lost their lives. They went back and they began to, to study it out to find out what happened. And the, the bridge engineer said this. He said, I know 
that I put the red flag out and the red flag said to the train engineer, it's not safe to cross. And so he said, I know I put the red flag out. The train engineer, on the other hand, said, when I came by, it was a white flag. And the white flag means keep going. They begin to study that out. Truth is, the bridge engineer did put the red flag out. But the red flag had began to fade. And when the train engineer came by with that train loaded with passengers, what used to be red began to look sort of white. Now, why are you telling that story, preacher? This is the reason. I just wonder tonight. How's your testimony? Is there a chance tonight that your testimony has faded? You know what? We, we ought not only be Christians, but we ought to be better Christians today than we were this time last year. Amen. People ought to look at us and know, man, he still loves God. He's still attending the house of God. He's still reading his Bible. Why? Because your testimony has awesome power. Awesome power. 275 men were spared all because of the testimony of one man, one man, the power of a testimony. Somebody's watching you tonight, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor. Somebody's watching you. What kind of testimony are we putting forward? Are we putting, amen, amen. What kind of testimony are we letting shine through us so others can see the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've had together tonight. Lord, this is all I'm trying to say, that our testimony has power. Someone said that a sermon whispers, but our testimony shouts. Someone else said that we may be the only Bible that some will ever read or we may be the only sermon that some will ever hear preached. Father, I pray tonight that you'd help us to understand that our testimony is powerful and help us to guard it with everything that we have. Father, I, I pray tonight that you'll work in hearts it could be there's somebody here tonight that needs to accept Christ as Savior. I pray they'll come. Lord, it could be tonight that there's a child of God here that maybe needs to tiptoe down to this old-fashioned altar and maybe say, Lord, my testimony's not been everything it ought to be. Maybe someone needs to walk down to this altar tonight and say, Lord, would you please help my testimony to shine at work, to shine at school, to shine to, to those in my neighborhood. Lord, would you help my testimony to be such that people see the Lord Jesus Christ in my life, in my words, in my actions. God, would you remind us tonight that people don't care how much you know until first they know how much you care. Have thy way in the invitation. Lord, we ask you to bring the increase. And thank you so much for this time we've had together tonight. We love you. Thank you for your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand tonight if you would. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If God's dealt with your heart tonight,
then I want to encourage you and welcome you to just tiptoe down to the altar and do business with the Lord. What kind of testimony are we exhibiting? Do people see Jesus in you? Are they seeing Christ in me? My goodness, that's so important. We're living, I believe, we're living in the last days. And Calvary, if it's, if it's ever, ever been important for us to have a godly testimony, well, it's right now, I believe. We're going to pause just for a moment, just for a moment. If you need to come, the altar's open. We're going to be dismissed. And so you come tonight while we wait, you come. bless you. Thanks for being a part of the day. It's been a wonderful day in the Lord's house. And I appreciate you being faithful. These are different days, but thanks for just being rock solid all the way through. And I believe God's given us something mighty special at Calvary. I'm praying he'll, he'll just keep it here until the Lord comes again. And maybe his coming won't be too far down the road. And so listen, I hope you have a wonderful week this week. Don't forget the youth activity tomorrow evening, and then uh, our service here will be Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, and so we'll see you here for our midweek service Tuesday night, and uh, we hope you have a great, great week this week. All right? Amen. Brother David, dismiss us in prayer tonight, if you would.
so strong to the suffering I'll never forget what the world may despise or see as defeat is the symbol of victory I'll never leave I will cling to the cross hold to that hill trust in the truth that he forgives still it's my shelter from shame though i can't explain how such gain can come from such loss i will cling to cling to the cross it's here i am covered by mercy and grace till my trophies at last trust in the truth that he forgives still it's my shelter from shame though i can't explain how such gain can come from such loss i will cling to cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday
Or the peace and joy I have when times are tough. 